Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a very, very special episode of Sapper Chance. I'm your host, Bobby Sampson, joined with the well-dapper-dressed man, Mr. Chance Michaels. Chance, why are you so dressed up today, my man? Well, we had Mr. Roger Stone on, and he wore a black T-shirt, so I guess I overdressed the occasion. Absolutely. You heard that right, ladies and gentlemen. We had the one and only, one of the most polarizing people in America these days, Mr. Roger Stone. And it's not the interview that you will be expecting. We talked about boxing and we talked a little bit about his book um, about JFK assassination. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of touched a little bit here and there, but predominantly it was a boxing conversation. It was really cool. I don't think uh, Roger Stone has had the opportunity to do a podcast that's kind of been fun or, or, you know, not not so heavily politically driven. So I I think he enjoyed himself. I think he had a good time, and I I really feel that uh, you know the way he dressed, even like I mean, like you've always yeah, stated, casual, relaxed, right? Like you know, like I you were more dressed up than he was today, yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, well, he I think he enjoyed it. And one thing people may not know about the guy, he's very nice. He's a, he's a, he was first class to us. He's a gentleman. He came on and he said we can ask him what we feel like, and we did and. It was great. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Mr. Stone. No, 100%. Uh, some of the things that we talked about, we talked about the JFK assassination. We talked about his favorite boxer. We talked about, we talked about boxing in general. You know, we, and I think we asked some questions that a lot of people haven't asked them. Like, where did you grow up? What did you do as a kid? You know, things like that. About things his fitness. That, still about his fitness. For exercise. Yeah. Absolutely. Things that people normally won't ask because they're so enamored by everything else that's going on in this world. So in a world... In a time that things are skewed or, or misunderstood or misguided, you know, I think this was a really fresh take for an individual that, that has a rich history in American politics, in American society, and in American culture, for that matter. I mean, considering the people that, he, that he's worked with and, and worked alongside uh, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Right. Um, I know he did. I, I believe he also worked with uh, Baby Bush. I don't he never worked with uh, Dad Bush. Right. George H. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, uh, you know, if you listen to the show, he makes a very interesting comment in regards to uh, Dada George Bush. H. George Super H. Bush, man. Yeah. So, uh, guys, sit back, relax. Let all of us into the years today. Here we go. Here's our interview with the one and only Mr. Roger Stone. Enjoy, everybody. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to a very, very special episode of Sam and Chats. I'm your host, Bobby Sampson. Join with me, as always, is my man with the master plan, Mr. Chance Michaels. And we are joined by one Roger Stone. Roger, thank you for coming on. One of the best dressed men in, in the world. Thank you for taking this time out of your schedule to join us today. Well, I'm happy to be with you. I dressed down a little bit today, knowing that this was a sports show, and I knew you wouldn't require me to wear a suit and tie. So uh, happy to be with you guys. Uh, what attracted me to the show is uh, you talk about boxing. Boxing is the only real sport that I follow or that I'm interested in. Uh, maybe this is due to the fact that I grew up in a very rural area. Uh, there were no other kids my age for 25 miles away. So that means uh, no basketball, no football, no baseball, no 
no team sports. And therefore, uh, early on, I had to engage in sports like uh, long distance running, like weightlifting, or I should say athletic activities rather than sports uh, that you can do by yourself. Uh, but I have uh, always been an enormous boxing fan. I had an opportunity to meet uh, uh, the great Muhammad Ali. Uh, was introduced oh. to me by Donald Trump at the 1988 Republican National Convention in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Got a chance to meet the champ. Uh, I actually, when I attended the wedding of Donald Trump and Marla Maples uh, at the Plaza Hotel uh, in New York, I had two celebrities at my table. There was assigned seating. Uh, one of them was Smoking Joe Frazier, who was yeah. my favorite boxer of all time, <laughs> bar none, uh, but also O.J. Simpson, uh, who was with a very, very good-looking blonde who was <laughs> not his wife. So uh, anyway... <laughs> I remember that very distinctly because a photographer came up, took a picture of uh, OJ and this woman. OJ called the guy over, grabbed his camera, smashed it several times on the table and handed it back to him. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. So let's go back. The one thing you said in the very beginning here that you lived in a rural area. Where did you grow up, uh, Mr. Stone? I grew up outside of New York City, uh, oh. right on the New York, Connecticut border between uh Lewisboro, New York, actually a section of Lewisboro called Vista, New York, mm -hmm. uh, in Canaan, Connecticut. Two very, very different worlds. Uh, Vista, New York, at least then, was a very blue-collar, working-class uh, uh, area, whereas New Canaan, it was one of the wealthiest uh, commuter counties uh, in uh, Fairfield County, a very upper crust. Uh, I was active, in, actually, in politics uh, both in New York, on the New York side and on the Connecticut side, was very, very different. The The local Republican parties uh, were different. So I, I consider it to be kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, I, I do think uh, working for uh, Richard Nixon, working for Ronald Reagan, later working for uh, uh, Donald Trump, uh, my expertise was always in, in blue-collar voting, uh, <laughs> blue-collar ethnic Catholic voters who were in those days traditionally Democrats, but ultimately became uh, Republicans. Awesome, awesome. What was it like, Mr. Stone, meeting your favorite boxer, Joe Frazier, at Trump's wedding? How was that experience like? What was, what was he like? Uh, he was very friendly. I must tell you, it's kind of a weird thing. So I've, you know, I've met four presidents. Uh, I have, uh, I've met dozens of uh, celebrities and movie stars and so on. The only time I was ever awestruck when I, was when I met Joe Frazier. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. When I was in college, uh, because uh, Ali had been a conscientious subjector to the war in Vietnam, uh, when uh, Ali and Frazier fought, they fought several times, as you know, uh, but it was very, very easy to get a bet down on Frazier uh, when I was in college at, at terrific odds. So I made about 1300 bucks in the one fight in which uh, Frazier beat Ali. And then I was smart enough not to bet on the rematch. Oh, nice. Yeah. How do you make the bets back in those? Is it the local bookie kind of thing? Uh, it was in college. So we we're, you know, betting in the dormitory, oh. you know, and Ali was, uh, it was not, he was a great fighter there, of that. There is no doubt. Although I do think in all honesty, Sonny Liston took a dive under political pressure. 
always believed that. Uh, but Ali was a great boxer, but he was also, uh, because of the Vietnam War and his opposition to the war, he was an ideological favorite. I went to a very liberal college in Washington, D.C. It was very easy to get a bet down uh, on him. And of course, yeah, guys would give you 10 to 1 odds. No, I, I've actually never placed a bet with a bookie, so I don't know how that works. Uh, so I guess I guess my question here, Mr. Stone, would be why Fraser? What what drew you to him? What made you a fanboy, if you don't mind me calling it that? You know that 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 encounter you had with him. Why why Joe Fraser of all the boxers in the world that you? Why? It, it's an excellent uh, it's an excellent question. I I I liked his entire approach uh, to boxing. Uh, I, he was a showman like uh, like Ali. Uh, you know the pre show weigh-ins are very much about you know the fans and so on um I, it's very hard for me to put my finger on he was without any question um you know my favorite boxer of all time now i saw uh, george foreman fight live multiple times in atlantic city mm -hmm. i liked george i liked george foreman mm -hmm. uh, i saw mike tyson fight mm -hmm. which was a whole different thing i mean mike tyson uh, was and is an animal. Yeah. Oh yeah, animal. I mean, yeah. you can't even you can't even compare him to the old time boxers. No, uh, yeah. just, just just a killer. Yeah, very very good interview recently. And if you saw it, where Tucker Carlson interviewed uh, Mike Tyson. Yeah, I seen that. Yeah, you know, and I uh, met Mike Tyson in Trump's office. I also met Don King. Mm -hmm. uh, nice. What was it like meeting Don King? He's a character. Uh, I had to count all my fingers after I shook his hands. <laughs> what a showman Don King is. <laughs> yes, indeed. He is something else. Do you I still pay attention to boxing nowadays at all? Do you watch any of the fights? Do you get a chance? I do. I, I, every, occasionally. I don't follow it uh, like I used to. Um, you know, I, I liked uh, I liked uh, Hector Macho Camacho was one of mm -hmm. my favorite fighters uh, at one time. Uh, Carl the Truth Williams. I'm not sure mm -hmm. if you remember him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's uh, you know, boxing doesn't have today. To me, it doesn't have the flair that it used to have. Okay, speaking that's fair. Flair, speaking of flair, I was always a great fan of Ric Flair. As a matter of fact, in fact, yeah, he's awesome. I, I like to. They used to say Roger Stone is the Ric Flair of politics. Well, you guys both I, wear those know, sharp suits. You guys, yeah, absolutely. Oh, maybe Ric Flair was the Roger Stone of wrestling. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, no doubt. Um, earlier, you talked about doing sports or ac physical activities like weightlifting, cross-country running, which are individual sports as well. Do you find that your love for boxing is because of that individual kind of achievement that only you can garner yourself like that's why i love combat sports like trust me i've grown up with team sports all my life but i found that as i've gotten older i've grown to be more of a tennis fan a boxing fan you know in terms of the individual conquest like achievement here's the thing though and that is uh when at an early age since i never had uh, the opportunity to play any team sports uh, or sports that involve more than one person you don't develop any hand-eye coordination. So, I mean, I, I doubt I could hit a baseball today if you threw a pitch at me. I can't play tennis. I can't play badminton. However, I do know how to shift my weight uh, and hit the heavy bag. I do know yes. how to hit the speed bag because those are things you can do by yourself that you can right. learn by yourself. 
mm-hmm. guy named uh, Joe Gingoli taught me how to box. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I now understand it's not just you just don't punch that it's all about the appropriate shift of your weight, the stance, the the uh, the uh, the equal distribution of your weight mm-hmm. uh, taught me how to get some power into your jab, which is not easy to do because you're punching underhanded. Uh, but there is people don't understand just in terms of physical workout, mm-hmm. you spend an hour on the heavy bag. Uh, and you will be completely drenched in sweat. Yeah. It's a total physical workout. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, so I used to go to the gym and just work out uh, on the heavy bag and then do abs that same yeah. day. Yeah. No, you 100%. still look pretty fit, Mr. Stone. Do you still exercise, walk, or run? I, I get in there. I, I, what I try to do is I still try to do cardio. I try to do cardio every other day. I prefer to run outside. I find it epically boring to try to run on, uh, on a treadmill. Sometimes I'll do the, uh, you know, the stair climber at the gym. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to get to the gym every other day. I'm not uh, as successful as I should because I'm trying to finish uh, a book. Uh, yet I, I have two books in the works. Uh, one is a book uh, about the horrific two-year experience I had of being uh, the victim of a political witch hunt. Now think about this for a moment. I was convicted of lying to Congress about Russian collusion yeah. that we now know definitively never happened and didn't right. take place. How do you lie about something that didn't happen? It's not even it's not even possible. Uh, but the truth of it is, uh, I was scooped up in the Mueller investigation uh, so that they could pressure me into testifying falsely against Donald Trump. They wanted me to lie, to be mm-hmm. candid. Okay. They, had a, they had a list of 26 cell phone uh, conversations between a candidate Trump and me in 2016. And they wanted me to say falsely that these has involved uh, coordination with the Russians or WikiLeaks and so on. I refused to do that, just refused to do it. Now, the truth is I already passed at that point, three polygraph tests proving that that, that none of that was true, but that didn't matter to the prosecutors. And that was never made public either. Well, it was made public, oh, okay. Uh, but, okay. but it is not. But I mean, in the sense that uh, my own lawyers went out and, t- and hired the people who do lie detector tests for the Florida State Police, uh, for the FBI, and they mm-hmm. conducted three different tests, which proved that I had no contact with the Russians and I had no contact with WikiLeaks and I hadn't done anything illegal. Though, unfortunately, uh, even though the government does use them in hiring all the time, uh, 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 lie detector tests, uh, polygraphs are not admissible uh, in a court of law, uh, and therefore I couldn't use them in my defense. Anyway, I think most people know the story. I uh, I decided to take a stand. Yeah. It cost me everything. I lost my home. I lost my savings. I lost most of my insurance. Uh, I was gagged. I couldn't even do a show like this. Come on and talk about boxing. No, that was forbidden by the judge. For 18 months, I couldn't uh, have any public comment uh, on any format uh, or forum whatsoever, uh, all to pressure me to testify against Trump. And they kept saying, you know, you're going to die in prison unless you agree to testify against Trump. And uh, I simply wouldn't do it. I refused to do it. Uh, so I was uh, I was a man staring into the abyss. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was a very difficult time. Uh, my wife would ultimately be diagnosed with aggressive stage four cancer, which I think is triggered by stress. Uh, I'm I'm happy to say, you know, through the healing power of Jesus Christ and uh, a lot of prayers, 
my wife is in great shape today. She's doing that's awesome. fabulous. She's that's awesome to hear. She's cancer free. But uh, so I'm writing a book about this. It'll be my fifth book. My best book is the man who killed Kennedy. The case I just finished that the other day. Yeah, because he did it. Trust me, boys. You, he you did. put you put so much research and so much detail in that book. I recommend that to everybody. Actually, listen to it on Audible. It's a great listen, a great read. I learned a lot. I didn't. I, was, I wasn't even live when Kennedy got yeah. shot, but I learned a lot from your book. He listened so. to the book. I read the book. Um, I read it in three days when I found out that we were having you on. I wanted to read it. I've always been fascinated by that whole situation. Um, without reading the book, I always had an inkling in my own self that that you know Johnson had something to do with it. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, JFK wasn't going to give them the war that they wanted. Correct. Well, I think it's much larger than that. In other words, I think that that Oliver Stone's movie JFK is too focused on the Vietnam War. Okay, so so you got where I'm coming with this from. It, it's it's a factor, but it's not the factor. Okay. Uh, the uh, the intelligence agencies were upset with Kennedy over the Bay of Pigs, which was a failed invasion of Cuba by the U.S. government. Uh, they were upset with Kennedy uh, over the Cuban Missile Crisis. Very similar to what's going on right now uh, in Ukraine. I mean, let's recognize Putin invaded Ukraine because we, we're trying to put NATO missiles, U.S. funded missiles, pointed at Russia uh, on the ground in Ukraine, which violates a treaty which we signed with the Russians uh, when Ronald Reagan was president. So it's a very similar situation. Uh, Johnson, uh, uh, let me back up. So the intelligence agencies, uh, the FBI, the CIA, the Secret Service, they're upset about the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. They're upset about the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis because they know, which we didn't know for 40 years, uh, that the Kennedys made a secret deal with Khrushchev and the Russians to remove our missiles from Turkey and Italy in return for a pledge that the Russians would remove their missiles from Cuba. Although there's a substantial historical question as to whether they ever actually removed their missiles because mm -hmm. the agreement had no on-site inspection right. requirement. Right. Uh, organized crime was most definitely involved uh, because in 1960, uh, the mob had given John Kennedy a million dollars, which in 1960 is like $10 million yeah. today. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had twisted arms for him uh, in Illinois and in West Virginia and in other states helping him steal the 1960 election, which I believe, and I document this in a different book, uh, that he did steal from uh, Richard Nixon. Um, the banks uh, are uh, financing this because John Kennedy is insisting on a silver-backed dollar, silver or gold. He elected to base it on silver. They want to move to paper back money. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, But Lyndon Johnson is the man with the most to lose. Uh, Cui bono in Latin, they say, who benefits? Johnson was under investigation for two massive corruption uh, scandals. One, the Billy Sal Estes scandal. Uh, the other one, the Bobby Baker scandal. Both uh, men who essentially were bagmen for Johnson. Uh, Johnson was taking uh, bribes uh, through both of them. Kennedy knew it. He Johnson was on the verge of not only being dumped from the 64 Democratic ticket, but probably looking at the federal penitentiary. So it was kill or be killed. Uh, and Johnson acted first. Now, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, and people can watch this and say you're out of your mind. I suggest you read my book. Read the book. Read. 
read, read my book and tell me if you aren't convinced that I'm right about the fact that Lyndon Johnson had the motive, means, and opportunity to kill Kennedy. And then he says and does enormous number of things immediately after the murder of Kennedy, which point directly at him. For example, uh, almost immediately, he is in an elevator uh, with Malcolm Kilduff, who is uh, President John Kennedy's spokesman that day. Uh, and um, Oswald has not yet been apprehended. He hasn't been arrested. Uh, and Kilduff uh, is distraught because his boss has just been killed. And he says to Johnson, Mr. President, who would do such a horrible thing to our president? Who would do such a thing? And Johnson looks at him and says, it was a communist, son. Oh, wow. Kilduff says, well, what kind of communist, Mr. President? And Johnson says, it, it was a Russian communist, son. Well, how does how does how does Kennedy know that? Uh, pardon me, how does Johnson know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oswald has not yet been arrested. We mm -hmm. also know that uh, that prior to Oswald being taken into custody in the in the uh, theater in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, that a telex goes out from the FBI headquarters in Washington to every FBI station in the country, saying that Lee Harvey Oswald has been arrested. He had even yet been identified at that point. So they, they got ahead of themselves. One final uh, point is they'll also tell you, well, Oswald killed Officer uh, Tippett. Well, the problem with that is Officer Tippett was shot and killed, mm -hmm. but the expended shells on the ground came from an automatic, yet Oswald is arrested in the Texas movie theater with a revolver. Can't possibly mm -hmm. be the same gun. So there are so many holes in the Warren Commission report. Um, I think I make a pretty compelling case that LBJ is the guy who did it. No, Mr. Stone, I mean, question for you. Why did they select Lee Harvey Oswald to take out Kennedy? Why him? Well, first of all, I don't think he's the shooter. I think yeah. he's exactly what he says he is. He's a patsy. Yeah. Uh, uh, he is a clearly a central intelligence asset. Uh, the reason they've never released his tax returns is because it would show that he got a 1099 from the FBI. He's working as an informant for the FBI. Uh, this recent uh, tranche of documents that even Joe Biden uh, released uh, and some other classified documents released when Donald Trump was president clearly show the FBI, the CIA has advanced knowledge of who and where Oswald is. Oswald has moved into place in Dallas because he thinks he's being sent there to help thwart an assassination attempt uh, on Kennedy. He has no idea that he is going to be set up to take the fall. When he's out in public, what does he say? I'm a patsy, he yells. Yep. I didn't shoot anyone. And here's what we do know definitively. There are no nitrate burns on his chest or his hands or his arms. Yet we're supposed to believe that he fired a $29, very leaky, uh, Italian carbine uh, left over from World War II, and that he got off three expert shots that no U.S. marksman in any branch of the service, or Jesse Ventura, for that matter, who's a, who's a sharpshooter, has ever been able to replicate in the time sequence required. Remember, a Dallas police officer, unfortunately, had, or fortunately perhaps, had his radio on, and therefore the sound of each shot can be recorded, and the time in between them is exactly known. There's never been able anyone able to, to duplicate that. They're also, final point, famous picture of a Dallas police officer having searched the Texas School Book Depository Building, holding a rifle up. The rifle is a precision 
German-made Mauser. That's the right. rifle that disappears. That is the rifle that was used to kill Kennedy. Kennedy was shot from the front and the back. There, there's many, as many as seven shots. There's as many as four shooters, in my opinion. It's tough to jam into an interview this short, but yeah. check out the book. No, I great book. Uh, quick question here I have on that. There's so many images that came out of that time from the shooting and whatnot. Do you think like the grassy knoll pictures, the lady, that, that the elderly lady picture or the guy with the umbrella, are those all just deterrents to get people talking about different points and angles to kind of deter away from the truth, do you feel? No, I actually think they help lead us to the truth. There is definitely oh, okay. a shooter on the grassy knoll. There's a man in a railroad tower who actually sees a man drive up in a green station wagon, take out a uh, a rifle carrying bag, remove it from the bag. He okay. sees a puff of smoke from the barrel of a gun. Uh, he sees the man uh, return the rifle of the bag and drive away. That eyewitness testimony exists. It was just uh, never included in the Warren Commission report. The shooter from the grassy knoll, who is one of several, uh, is most likely a paid professional assassination assassin from Corsica who was brought in by the mob. Uh, we know that the shooter from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository is a man named Malcolm Wallace. That's because he left his fingerprints on the cardboard boxes in the so-called crow's nest. Mm. Uh, and uh, therefore, uh, we know definitively that Wallace is in the room, but six eyewitnesses two in the prison across the street uh, and three, uh, four on the ground, all describe a man who meets the physical description of Malcolm Wallace, who's on the payroll of Lyndon Baines Johnson, by the way, uh, heavy set, middle-aged spectacle, a much, much higher rated marksman than Oswald. Oswald had the lowest possible U U.S. Marine Corps rating uh, in, when it came to his shooting abilities. So, um, yeah, I think it is possible. The guy with the umbrella, I think, is giving a signal. Uh, a very, very good friend of mine, Beverly Oliver. Mm -hmm. uh, I think at this point, the one of the last remaining, if not the last remaining eyewitness, less than 15 feet away from Kennedy, literally sees his head explode, explode oh, wow. in a pink mist. Um, she is, uh, I spoke to her the other day. She's not doing well. We need to oh. pray for her. Sure. Um, she had some serious, serious health issues. Uh, she seems to be slipping in and out of lucidity, but still a very beautiful person. By the way, she worked in Jack Ruby's nightclub uh, as a singer in the, oh, wow. in, the, in the evenings. Very beautiful in her day. And uh, she was a consultant hired by uh, Oliver Stone when he made uh, JFK. She became right. quite close to uh, Kevin Costner during mm -hmm. that period. Besides your book, from? Roger, what other book do you think is the closest to the truth of the Kennedy assassination, would you say? Uh, there's a there's a number of great books. I would have to go with uh, Jim Marr's book uh, entitled Crossfire is excellent. Okay. Uh, he, he is no longer with us. Um, I would also recommend uh, the uh, the two volume uh, books on Lyndon Johnson by Phil Nelson. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, LBJ Mastermind of the JFK Assassination. On volume two, I think it's called LBJ, The Colossus. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're both excellent. I would also recommend uh, uh, a book by Gaetano Franzi. I'm not sure that I can recall the name. Uh, but there's also a book, Best Evidence, by Gerald Lifson. I, I recommend all of those. We know so much more now. 
yeah. uh, than we knew, you know, uh, either in the immediate aftermath of the Warren Commission uh, or uh, more recently. How long does it take to put together a book like this? Because your book is very detailed. I can tell by listening to a lot of research involved here. It took me five years to write that book. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, what really inspired it to me to write it was a conversation I had with former President Richard Nixon, who I worked for. Uh, Nixon uh, was uh, not a very open guy. He was very buttoned down. He was very forward looking. It was very hard to get him to talk retrospectively about you know, the great events of his life, Dwight Eisenhower, Joe McCarthy, Jack Kennedy, uh, and so on. But when he had a couple cocktails, it would kind of loosen his tongue. Uh, and I asked him point blank, who killed Kennedy? Uh, and he said, well, first of all, the Warren Commission report is the biggest goddamn hoax in American history. And I said, well, but, that, but then who killed Kennedy? And he looked at his drink for a moment. He looked up to me. He said, let me put it to you this way. Lyndon and I both wanted to be president. The difference was I wasn't willing to kill for it. Wow. There, that's a, there it is. That's so that, a powerful that's, statement. That is what inspired me to uh, write the book. How did you, were you already in politics when Kennedy was assassinated? No, I was, uh, I was still in elementary school. Oh, you were 11, right? I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> my bad, my bad. You were 11 years old at the time. Correct? Yeah. That, that is that is correct. I remember it very distinctly. In fact, every single person who's an adult at that time and, and or a child uh, of age, I should say, remembers where they were that day with one exception. George H.W. Bush. How very strange. He could never remember where he was that day. That's because he was in Dallas that day. Yeah, oh, that's wow. that's what yeah, that's interesting. What was it like working with Richard Nixon? I only hear what I read about him. How would you describe the man? Uh, he was a very uh, he was a very introverted guy, uh, but he was uh, he was great to work for. Uh, he was very loyal. Uh, he was a great politician in the sense that he called me on my birthday every year. He knew my wife's name. He knew how many kids I had. And, uh, he was very attentive to small details like that. But he was a very private man, very buttoned down. I worked for Reagan. I loved Reagan. Reagan had no idea if I was even married. I mean, Reagan, there was always a distance between you and Reagan. Reagan uh, was first and foremost an actor. He was very, very concerned about the role of president and providing the the visible signs of leadership that he think the country needed. Uh, and it's very funny. He was asked at the end of his presidency, uh, uh, Mr. Reagan, do you think you're, the fact that you didn't come from politics, the fact that you were an actor hurt your ability to do this job. He said, I don't know, fellas, I don't see how a guy who wasn't an actor, actor. could ever do this job. Yeah, I saw do that. I've seen it, that. Do you think it's true what they say he had dementia towards the end of his presidency, Reagan, or is that just made up by the media? No, I, no, I do not think that's true. I think, I think, I, I know this, I worked for him in 1976. He had trouble remembering people's names then. It was just okay. a idiosyncrasy. Uh, I saw no evidence of any uh, deterioration on his part during his presidency. I do think once the burdens of the office were gone, I do think he went down. Uh, he went downhill pretty uh, dramatically. I think that that's revisionist history uh, in an attempt to try to uh, denigrate him. Yeah. And what was it like working with the one and only Mr. Trump? Uh, here's the thing people don't understand. I'm, I'm sorry, but this kind of has to be our last question. 
Okay. Trump is like a regular guy. When you're with Trump, you laugh. Uh, you have a, you have a great time. Yeah. Trump loves a cheeseburger. Trump loves the meatloaf. Trump is there's nothing pretentious or stiff or formal about Trump. He's just a terrific guy. He's fun to be with. He's got a great wicked sense of humor uh, that can even sometimes be uh, self-deprecating. Uh, uh, look, I love them all. They're all different in their own ways. Nixon, the ultimate introvert, quiet, kind of shy, very reserved, very buttoned down, not comfortable in his own skin. Uh, Reagan, the ultimate optimist, uh, you know, uh, the up, up, very sunny disposition, very slow to anger, very, very balanced, very likable, very genial. Uh, and Trump, who is a showman, who Trump who understands you got to keep people interested. So the thing about Trump, the, the most predictable thing about Trump is he's completely and totally unpredictable. That's the most yeah. predictable thing about him. So, uh, guys, I appreciate your having me. Unfortunately, today's January 6th. Uh, yeah. Vlog of interviews. Uh, yeah. Let me just say I got to ask you one quick last question. Who's the Go best ahead. dressed man, Trump, Nixon or Reagan? Who's the best dressed? Uh, I'd have to say Reagan, but the irony of that is that Reagan had all of his suits made in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s, and he very rarely bought anything new. But uh, <laughs> of the three, I think he was the best dressed. Nixon probably slept in a suit. That's the truth. <laughs> he probably jumped out of bed in the morning wearing a suit. Uh, Trump is a Brioni guy. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, you know, he's uh, he didn't care much about clothes. He's got the signature red tie. So I would say of the three, I might have to go with Reagan. This okay. I will say, however, smoking Joe Frazier was the greatest boxer of all time. Fantastic. Mr. Stone, I know, I know you Thank got you. Over. I just have one question. If I can throw sure. in there really, really quick. I appreciate this. You did an interview, a podcast about five, six months ago with the PBD guys. And on yeah. there, you made this one comment. You made a prediction uh, about, about the upcoming election and whatnot. I'm wondering, you talked about that Joe Biden probably won't be running again. Do you still stand by that? And also, yes, do you I, stand I, I, by the candidate that you named that would potentially yes, I come do. out? Here's what I think. I think the uh, the uh, weight of the sour economy yeah. and the disaster of the policies of Joe Biden, right. when you compare them to now what are going to be investigations into the epic corruption of Joe, his brother Jim, and Hunter, yeah. Uh, which which could potentially land them in jail. Uh, I think the Democrat and Joe's inability to function, because God bless him, he doesn't look to me like he knows what day of the week it is some days. I think yeah. the Democrats themselves will come to him early in the year, early this year, uh, and tell him that he cannot run again. He will resist it, but then they will say, okay, you can do it your way. You're going to go to prison, however, uh, or your son is. Uh, and I think in the end, he will resign or they'll remove him under the 25th Amendment, right? Uh, which only requires a majority of the cabinet plus the vice president. Well, you know, Kamala will definitely vote to get rid of him because right. that would make her president. Uh, I still think she steps aside. Uh, and I predict yet again, Michelle Obama yeah. will be the Democratic nominee for president in 2024. And let me leave it here. She will be very, very tough to beat. She can be beaten, but she will be very, she'll be a very, yeah. very formidable candidate.
Nice. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. We really, really appreciate this. Thank you. Yes, Michelle, thank you. And uh, I hope that, you know, if everything goes well here, you'd like to come back and join us again and talk about boxing a bit more. And, you know, uh, sure. Love to. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for thank having you. Thank, thank you. For, you. For, thank you for coming on, sir.